Pearl Jam, a quintessential embodiment of the Seattle grunge scene, rose to prominence in the early 1990s with their gritty sound and emotionally charged lyrics. Led by the enigmatic Eddie Vedder, the band's lined-up reads like a who's who of rock coolness. Mike McCready, Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament, and Matt Cameron. Their debut album, 10, unleashed a wave of alternative fervour with anthems like Alive and Even Flow. Vetter's brooding vocals and the band's raw instrumentation captivated a generation disillusioned with mainstream music, carving out a niche for themselves in the underground scene. However, Pearl Jam's allure extends beyond their musical prowess. They're emblematic of a counter-cultural ethos. Spearheading a crusade against corporate greed in the music industry, they famously waged war against Ticketmaster, championing the rights of both artists and fans alike. With a catalogue spanning decades, Pearl Jam continues to be a touchstone for those seeking an alternative to the mainstream, their influence reverberating through indie venues and vinyl collections worldwide. Now tonight... My mate Peter's back. He grew up with this band in a very intimate fashion in his, uh, I assume, teenage years, would you say, Pete? 100%, mate. I've, I've grown up listening to them. We were lucky to be there. One ten was released. A month later, Nevermind was released. And then a month after that, in October, Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden was released. We were spoiled, you know? Like, you think back to that. You don't get bands like that now releasing albums of that scale now you just don't get what well, you do you gotta hunt for them they're out there but those bands i mean pearl jam is still here and i remember when i first listened to them they were definitely different mccready is very talented he's a very good guitarist you can hear that vedder's lyrics on first listen you know he's good but when you listen back to say 10 and verses they're phenomenal albums i still love them but I don't think they fully became Pearl Jam until probably halfway through Vitalogy and No Code. That's, that was the Pearl Jam they wanted to be. It's a long story, but they were forced into a, a corner with the record companies on those first two albums. So they had to become Pearl Jam on their own, their own terms. Yeah, but then, anyway, I love that band because I grew up with them, man. And those lyrics and everything in those first two albums, it just spoke to me as a kid, you know, like they're, they're incredible. It brings back such great memories for me as well. And you're right, to, to have so many cult classic grunge bands that, that defined an era all coming out in that sort of 91, 92 period, 91, 92, 93 maybe. Yes. It was ridiculous. And you look back now and, and I, I think at the time you just thought, well, this must be just, this is what's going to happen in music. We're just going to get these the wave. these bands that are going to be remembered for a lifetime just keep appearing. I guess it is still the case, but sporadically across a lot of different genres now rather than that was a defining period and I know when I went to high school I always thought of my I called them the big six which was Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden and Alice in Chains for me. Maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers to a lesser extent. I mean I love the Peppers but nowhere near as much as those six. Up until Blood Sugar that they were phenomenal after that they sort of fizzled out a little bit but yeah Blood Sugar was awesome but yeah Great time to be alive. You know, even Radiohead came on the scene at that period yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, <laughs> probably shouldn't discard them. But Pearl Jam, now to this very day, would you say you listen to them, you know, as much as any other artist? That- 100%. Like, uh, I remember talking to an older mate of mine when I was a kid in London. I remember he was a lot older than me. I remember him saying, he was a best mate's brother, 
this band's going to be around for a long time. And I remember him saying that. And, man, he, I don't know if he had a crystal ball or whatever, but he was 100% right. You know, you could tell Cobain was a bit volatile. You know, you listen to his lyrics, there's a lot of drug, and there was a lot of guns mentioned in, in Cobain's lyrics. But Vedder, Vedder's lyrics and Mike McCready and Stone Gossard, they wrote a lot of songs too. There's a lot more in their lyrics about morals on life, about looking after each other. The more and more you listen to, like, No Code and Riot Act, for example, they really care. Like, the number five that I've chosen, WMA, it's a racially driven song about, you know, racism. And you can tell that he cares when he sings about the chorus about, you know, you'll hear it in a second or in five minutes or whatever. You know, they, they genuinely cared about people and about how they how they felt about what was going on around them, you know. You could tell that they really cared about that. And that, I, I really admired that. Brilliant. Love, love them. Actually, something that I, I didn't haven't even think to look at, but I'm not sure what your understanding is. But like, were they heavily influenced by any particular artist? The Who, Led Zeppelin, massively influenced by the Who, and they were Bowie fans as well. Yeah, okay, yeah, quite cool. Influenced by Neil Young as well, and they're still really good friends with like Pete Townsend and stuff. Yeah, yeah unreal. Yeah. But they were writing similar. If you listen to the Who's lyrics, they were similar to Pearl Jam's. They were about teenage problems and parental control, and and parts of racism as well. You know, they 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 wrote similar lyrics, and he was also Pearl Jam were also influenced by uh, Tom Petty as well. They're big Tom Petty fans. Man, I love all those artists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Petty, mate. Oh, he was so cool. Yeah, I, I'm massive Tom Petty, man. <laughs> okay, well, should we roll into our special mentions? Let's do it. All right, well, I'll go first with the special mentions since you'll be bringing up the, the tale and climax for each talk or each number. Hopefully. <laughs> so for my special mentions, I, I, all I wanted to say really was I, I've got three special mentions and I'll just say them as a collective – when Pearl Jam were coming through the scene, I loved their slower stuff, right? And I, I love their, I mean, I love their raw, you know, heavier grunge sound as well. But I particularly, I think I played a lot of these songs on repeat a lot when I was younger. So having said that, as I've grown older, I now actually really appreciate their heavier stuff a oh. lot more. I just, it's just something that's it, now that I, I appreciate that roar of sound than what they were trying to express it now more than I understood back then. So, but having said that, I didn't want to leave these guys off the, off the list. So through the three songs that I played a heck of a lot, which were obviously a lot slower in tempo was nothing man of vitalogy. Brilliant stuff. Elderly woman. Yeah. Behind what's the rest of the song name? Elderly <laughs> woman behind a counter in a small town. In a small town, yeah. yeah, yeah. So elderly woman and off he goes yeah, off beautiful stuff. Off of no code. Yes. So I just wanted to give those three a shout because I still do listen to them and still adore them, but I don't play them as much as now when I, I go to play Pearl Jam, I don't think I play them as much as you, a higher rotation as that, but I always like a, a big kick, a bit of an amp up. It, it, it's weird with Pearl Jam, like when you asked me my top five, I went, well, that's easy because I know that each month, wherever my mindset is, I, I will I will listen to another five that just pull me in that I haven't listened to for a while. And you've done it with, um, with a song that you've picked tonight as well. Like the other night, I listened to Oceans again. The sound of that, that on Oceans, it's got that cloudy kind of, it's like he's singing inside a like a like a fishbowl, you know. And when he's and I started reading about oceans in twenty, and apparently, listen to this. We're talking about oceans. Eddie needed to put some money on the parking meter 
it was running out and the band are like go and put some money on we're going to get fined so he went outside got locked out so this is I read, I read this recently he got locked outside he could hear the band jamming inside he couldn't get in because it was one of those push you know those are fire exit doors oh, yeah. and when he was out there he luckily he had a pencil and paper in his pocket he wrote the he wrote the lyrics for Oceans out in the car park and then went back in and then they were like oh, you know, oh okay we'll record that <laughs> So he wrote the lyrics out in a rainstorm in a car park while he was locked out there, you know. Just, uh, it's ridiculous talent. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's good that his mates didn't realise he was yeah, locked out Yeah, well, maybe they're not on purpose to get some inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Eddie, start writing. Uh, and before we go on to your special mentions, I think it should also be mentioned, they they are an album band. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? And I don't think we've really talked about You're that on yet. on a journey with them. Yeah, with all the albums, I think, for me... Right from 10 all the way through to No Code in particular for me, you knew when a song finished what the next, the start of the next song yeah, sounded sure. like. Like that's how much, like it, they were a band that you probably didn't play a certain song that much. It was more put on the album, play start to finish. Yeah, yeah. And I find as well, and one of your mates, Johnny said this to me the other day, when he plays 10, for example, he doesn't stop it. Like you can just leave it. And I'm the same with all the albums I listen to of theirs. You can press play at the beginning. There's no, there's never a skip. Like I'm happy to listen to the tracks because mm. they all fold in on each other and they've all got similar meanings. I mean, Versus was different. Versus is probably one of the greatest alternative albums ever because it deals with like parental control, racism, politics. It's got a lot of variation in there. It's very, very alternative. It was a very alternative album lyrically if you listen to it carefully. And WMA, for example, as well. Those, that's a drum-led song and no one else was really doing that then it's just pure drums but yeah very very interesting how they their albums you can play from start to finish and it's it's like one giant story i do like that yeah okay well your special mentions mate you got any i'm gonna go with wishlist crazy mary release i am mine man of the hour that was on a movie big fish with ah yes Listen to that. That Man of the Hour is really, really good. Dance of the Clairvoyance on the new Gigatron album. I love that Gigatron album. I think it's great. Nothing Man, unth- Unthought Known. There's just so many to list. When I was messaging you last week, I nearly put wish list uh, and release back into my five. And uh, I just couldn't, yeah. I went, no, I'm not listening to any more Pearl Jam. I'm going to stick with this five because this is what I'm really enjoying at the moment. <laughs> That's a pretty substantial list, yeah. yeah You're I a bit like Tick, just... Yeah. Just yeah. try and name every song. <laughs> Man, Oceans, again, I nearly swapped that in the other day. When I found out how he wrote it, I was just, I mean, yeah, it's just amazing. You still got the story in there, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> snuck it in. <laughs> okay, let's let's get into it. Now, I, as you know, Pete, I've been flat out this last couple of weeks. Doing and, what, mate? What have you been doing uh, the last four years? Uh, I just can't imagine it. <laughs> yeah, I won't go into it, but I've been a busy boy. And so my notes are, are pretty molly. pretty light compared to what Pete's got. So, But which is fine. I just want to really express my love for these five songs and let Pete steal the show today. Number five. My number five comes from the album No Code in 1996. And can I just say straight up, I think it's their most underrated album. Oh, for sure. No Code is... Uh, from start to finish. I love every it, song it on that. It could be their best album. When I'm in a certain frame of mind, that that could be their best album. I mean, yeah. it's, it's outstanding. Yeah, I, I've always enjoyed it and, and it's just never really got the, the credit it, it probably deserves. But anyway... I've picked for my number five, Hail, Hail. Boom. <laughs> so, look, this is, this is a beast of a song. Mate. I, 
I think it's like uh, the best way to describe it would be brutal. It's well, just when you're listening on the opening of the album, you got sometimes it's that beautiful, lovely, mellow tune, and then as it fades out, boom! It, it, yeah. like, it makes you when you first start listening to it, it makes you jump. It's like Queens of Stone Age. It makes you jump. Whoa! It, and it just goes off, you know. Like and that riff that Stone Gossard plays is brutal. It's a, but it's smooth as well, though. Even though it's aggressive and loud, it's a very smooth, crunchy riff. That's it. Like it's and it's still melodic. Yeah. For a, for a, you know, it's it's almost verging in parts on punk. Yeah, for sure. And, it's, I mean? and the lyrics are, are cynical. They're complicated, and there's that there's love and all kinds of stuff in there. Like really, really good tune. Hell, hell, I love that. Yeah. Awesome. And live, pretty insane as well. Like you sent me through a live yeah. uh, version of it just prior, and yeah, unreal. Hail, hail to the lucky ones. I refer to those in love. Like I had a quick read through the lyrics, and and it does look like it's a, about a relationship. It's not going too well. The struggle going on. <laughs> the yeah. struggle, and they're almost like you know, it's at the brink where they know it's not going to work, but they still just continue with it because it seems to be you know that's what's happened in the past. So let's just keep it going. But in the back in the back of their minds, they're like, that's why they got that hail, hail to the lucky ones. I refer to those in love. It's like, you know, well done to those that can make it and still love it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. That the, the lyrics are definitely about how he and she feels. Are you woman enough to be my man? That's an interesting line because Eddie, obviously, if you know Alive, the track Alive, he, he didn't know his dad was, well, his, his, what he thought was his dad wasn't. He passed away, but he had met him years ago. So he didn't have a proper role model. He had a bad relationship with his stepfather after he found that out so you know that line could be about it could be perceived as a uh, eddie not having a proper role model you know but it's from a woman's point of view he does that quite a lot 
in about four or five of his songs, he speaks from a female perspective, which is which is interesting. He was writing that when he was very young as well. Beautiful lyrics, right? And it's all yeah. When you read that, it's like a it'd be like a poem from a, like a Nick Cave thing. But then you've got these really aggressive slashing guitar licks from Stone Gossard and McCready just pounding away. Yeah, uh, brilliant. I love that song. It's outstanding. All right, your number five, mate. My number five is WMA from Versus 1993, second album. Yeah, I had to listen um, to it just before. It, it, yeah, it rocks. It, it's, I mean, compared to to 10, I mean, that, it's a brilliant album. There's nothing wrong with that album. I love it. But when you put Versus on, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot more going on. There's different sounds. And when that starts halfway through the album, it's just, it's just drum-led. It's... Clear up. Is that bongos at the beginning of it or not? I'm, I'm going to say yes, just to keep the to keep the whole sh- um, franchise happy. <laughs> and Chippy it was Chippy. Ch- Chippy, yeah. <laughs> hey Chippy, how are you? <laughs> but um, yeah, I reckon we'll just say there's bongos now. But now that the, the drums and the fills on the opening of WMA is unbelievable, and then mm. in a couple of minutes in, huge punchy bass line, and you think, well, what's going on here? It's bass line and drum driven. And then Eddie, Eddie starts spitting out lyrics about, well, WMA stands for White Male American. And some of the lyrics in that tune, in that song, are just, they're vicious, you know, they're absolutely horrendous. Soaring vocals, strong lead and bass, delivering lines like, he won the lottery when he was born, took his mother's white breast to his tongue. So he's talking about white male privilege in America being taken for granted. And then the next couple of lines are train like dogs, colour and smell, walks by me to get to him. So outside a studio where they're recording this album, some cops turned up and started hassling one of Eddie Vedder's black friends and he was just filthy with it because they walked straight past him. Like, Obviously, he was furious about that. And another line is in that song as well is, Jesus greets me, looks just like me. It gives me chills thinking about it. If you start thinking about that line, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of little levels going on there where... There's layers that you don't want to start pulling apart. It's a really powerful line. Unbelievable song. The chorus is absolutely phenomenal. Police stop my brother again. Police stop my brother again. I mean, I'm just saying it like a normal English guy, but when you hear Eddie screaming it... His voice goes up to this pitch and drops back down. And, like, there's not many other white rock bands back then that would call a, a black person his brother. But somehow Eddie and the boys tackle that, you know, like, and uh, it sounds really cool and not corny. 
But listen to the chorus, listen to how he soars up and he screams about this guy being his brother and he is pissed off that someone's come along and abused one of his friends right in front of him and just walked right past him. You know, it's disgusting really when you think about it. And again, back to my point from the beginning, he cares, you know. They didn't get that, they only get that song right every now and then, but they do sing it and uh, you can tell they still care. Yeah, they care. They they were doing it before Woke was even invented. They they were just doing the right thing, you know. They were doing the right thing. They were standing up for their friend and they sang a very angry song with a brilliant drum pattern that just rumbles through the whole song. I love it. Yeah, that's an incredible track, mate. And yeah, you're right. they cared, but they, they also really liked to make a statement. Oh, for sure. It, every yeah. chance they got. So that was that was Eddie's way. Number four. Okay, so my number four is probably what Chippy would call a normie selection. One of their most iconic songs, I think. So it comes from 10 in 1991, and the song is called Jeremy. Very nice. This is very much a, a bass-driven song. So Jeff Ament used a 12-string bass on this, yep. and it kicks ass. But, yeah, right right from that beginning riff, the ba- it's bass riff, and, and the bass is actually central to this whole track. Oh, for sure. So much so that for a lot of the track, you can't even really hear the guitars. No. Nah. It's the bass, and the second most audible instrument in this is actually a, a cello. Yeah, yeah. Eddie's voice in this is full of anger, and angst. True story, isn't it? It is a true story. I've got the, the, the story here, but before we touch on that as well, there's a haunting video clip to this one. It's and still spoken about today being... Yeah, sorry, after you. Yeah, well, I have a hard time watching it. It's horrendous, mate. Since I've had kids in particular, it talks about a, a child that had a bit of a tough life, probably was looked at in different ways and you're like, oh man, just don't want my child to go through that. But the song itself is based on two different true stories. Mm-hmm. The first one was, and the, the main inspiration of the song was from a, a newspaper article about a 15-year-old boy called Jeremy Wade Dell from Richardson in Texas who shot himself in front of his teacher 
and 30 students in the classroom at the same time. Now, Eddie, Eddie said that he felt the need to take that small article and make something of it, to give that action, to give it reaction, to give it more importance. Now, this kid was described by his schoolmates as, as really quiet and, and he acted sad a lot. After coming to class late that morning, Dell was told to get an admittance slip from the, the school office. So he left the classroom and then he returned with a, a magnum. He walked to the front of the classroom and, and announced, Miss, I got what I really went for, and then put the barrel of the gun in his, his mouth and pulled the trigger. So it's pretty messed up. But then the song is also blended in with a second story about someone that Vetter actually knew personally from his school. He actually knew somebody in his junior high school, which was in San Diego, California. From what I heard, he shot a fish tank. Yeah, so he, he said he, he did the same thing just about, but didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. So yeah, yeah. that and, and, sounds and, right. A year before that, in, according to 20... Eddie actually had a fight with this kid. So he had a, you know, yeah. and, and Eddie's not a fighter, obviously, you know, but he obviously at school he had a punch up with this kid and uh, yeah, so there was a bit of a bit of that. Yeah, because I think there's lyrics about, you know, how yeah, he, he but gets that, hit yeah. to the side. And and, uh, and it's, it's sort of like that's this story. Yeah. But then the Jeremy But Eddie's quite Eddie, from what I keep reading from what you're saying as well, he he kind of exaggerates his stories, but he does it on purpose to add depth to his stories. And what he's done there is a perfect better example of Mixing stories to mm. to put layers in, and it's very very clever, very interesting. It makes it puts you in deep thought. You you don't want to think about it too much though, because it's dark subject. Mm. It's it's in the middle of the album too, and I, I always remember when I listen to the album, like I, like I think of the first three. So once even flow mm. alive, like it just blends through almost. It's just one big song. I, I know they're completely different tracks, but they blend so beautifully. But I always found when it got to Jeremy, it felt like the standalone kick to the nuts yeah when it came on it was like whoa okay this it did it just it felt like a bit of an interval yeah for me it was always jeremy just made me stood up and, and listen so it's funny you say that because when i saw them live in 09 when why go starts you hear it on the cd it is explosive all the guitars come you can hear the guitars coming on a separate amp the two moments what i'm getting to is the one the ones the two that the memories that i can definitely picture like crystal clear when I first saw them is why go starting and Jeremy because when Jeremy starts the everything goes quiet and it's just that boom 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 and it's just like you can feel it coming through your chest man you can feel the bass fuzzing up inside your rib cage you know it's that it, yeah and that's what you're talking about I know exactly when you hear Jeremy it's got something special about it Let me 
ain't a harmless little fuck I was reading about the video as well. There's more to it than that. So it was filmed in England uh, for some reason. I'm not sure, sure why it was filmed in the UK. And the guy that filmed it, he read the lyrics to the song. He didn't think much of it. And the producer said, no, no, read, read properly again. Read the lyrics again. And then it gripped him. And then when Vedder came over to shoot it with a band, the band actually couldn't sit in the studio because Vedder sat in this chair and he's really tensed up. Mm. And he, you can see he's furious. To ever wise. Like, oh, mate, he, he's not happy. And all the bands said, we can't sit here and do this. It's, you know, they, again, it's that, that care factor you get with them. They genuinely cared about this kid that put a gun in his mouth and shot himself in front of his classroom. I mean, it's just hideous. But yeah, Vedder wanted to make a point about it. He wanted to sing about it and explain what, what happened because he felt like people should know about it. I think Jeff Amen got interviewed sometime later, might be like five years down the track, and he was really unhappy about the film clip. Mm. Not so much that it was just focused on Eddie, but all the talk around the song itself was about this film clip because it was so controversial at yeah. the time for you know American standards for, for video clips and so forth, and, and they felt like it tarnished it too much. And I think after that, like Eddie agreed with him, and they went five years or something where they refused to create a video clip. Yeah, th- th- this is back to my point where I said where so after ten and verses, which are, they are outstanding albums, I love them both. There was a lot of pressure on the record company for them to perform. Like from ninety one to ninety three, Pearl Jam just toured and toured and toured. And that video I sent you, they were so tight you can't even hear a mistake in all their early gigs. They were so, and they just got sick of it. But the, it's weird because before they released ten, all their aim was to release 300,000 records or 30,000 records just so they could go touring. But then they sold, they went triple platinum in a few weeks. So all that pressure was put on them for 10 and verses and it freaked them out. They had a bit of a strange relationship with Cobain. They were always compared to and they didn't like that. Uh, He had a bit more of a biff with Jeff Amon actually because of the whole punk scene that Jeff Amon had come from. When Vedder found out that Cobain was dead, he trashed his hotel room. He was devastated. Just smashed it all up. He was gutted. And then they went all quiet after that. They didn't do any interviews. They didn't do any... They'd done nothing. They'd done no videos, nothing. And, that, and then halfway through Vitalogy, you can hear that's tune bugs. There's things that were still bugging him. I didn't like that song for a while until you find out where their heads were at. But then when you get to know code, I think that's where you start to hear the Pearl Jam that they wanted to do. Mm. Where when you're just young kids and you start pumping out... Uh, 10 and Vitalogy you know, sorry and Versus I mean phenomenal but I, th- I think from what I keep reading the five albums that came up until Yield after Versus I think that's where Pearl Jam wanted to be at yeah okay it's really interesting yeah that it makes sense and even with my number one later some of that what you've just mentioned there yeah. what he was thinking around that time it sort of fits in with that Okay, mate. Your number four? My number four is You Are from the seventh studio album, Riot Act. Okay. Uh, Talk me through this one. So this is, this is interesting, this tune. When you first hear it, it just, again, it's, it pulls you in. It's got a strange, choppy, stompy, kind of wah pedal guitar thing going on. But then you've got to start listening carefully because it, it starts to sort of loosen up and it's very wavy and it sort of tumbles along. Especially with headphones on, you can hear this kind of wave. But there's a weird effect going on. It's hard to pick. 
Eddie's voice complements the song throughout. It kind of climbs and falls with the lyrical content. And the opening line is, the broken wheel is coming undone and the road is exploding. Uh, it was actually written by Matt Cameron, the drummer. I mean, this guy, <laughs> Matt Cameron, I mean, check out his resume. He was playing with a little band called Soundgarden before he came to Pearl Jam. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding, like, yeah. And uh, yeah, so he wrote the song. And from what I can gather with the lyrics, it's a love song. Love is a tower and you're a key. It's about, again, I get the impression it's about Matt Cameron's relationship with his wife. There's a few lines in there, like, sometimes I burn like a dot on the sun with no one knowing, but you're keeping me strong and moving me, moving me along with you. So, like, the, the dot on the sun is, like, extremes and maybe uh, pressure of touring, you know, like, there's, listen to the lyrics and you, you probably agree with me. It's, it's definitely like he's struggling with something like touring and he's stuck in a hot spot and he can't, you know, his love for her is, is dragging him along. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful song, and I was reading recently again that this song was actually recorded. So Matt Cameron plays guitars on it, but he records it through his drum machine. And I'll, I'll, this is the, I've worded it, I've typed this up to word it better, but it starts off with, the drums you hear live are live drums, but you can't hear the drum machine. The drum machine was used to create rhythmic envelopes with a delay that put that triggers the loop effect through the opening and closing of the guitar output. It's super cool. Tom Morello uses this effect. I think uh, Radiohead use it. And if you listen to it, it's got like this opening, closing, kind of crunchy wah pedal sound. So that's a that's a guitar being played through a drum machine. I, I think it's really, really cool. But he done that so he could play guitars on the song way Eddie sung, and he plays guitars too. So it's a, it's a super cool tune, and it takes a few listens. But when you start listening to it, you you kind of get in a bit of a trance with it. It's, it I love it. It's, it's, it's a brilliant song. their best love song i don't know there's a couple out there but that is that's up there that's pretty interesting that instrument yeah so. it, it's 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 chopped and it's open and closed for an envelope 
And so it sounds like it's played through a loop. It's yeah, check it out. It's really, really interesting. Number three. This is another ball terror from Versus in nineteen ninety-three. And this is the album opener. It's called Go. Yes. I, I kind of always put Go and Animal as a duet. Like yeah. I always feel like they need to be played together. I mean, Go is still my choice out of the two of them, but I think Animal needs a little bit of kudos there as well because to start an album with those two songs just has you in in that revved up space. But yeah, look, it's an explosive song. It's it's frantic. It's it's raw and it's a banger. Like it's got another genius bassline. Yeah. From Amen and you know, but the guitars and the drums also kick us, especially the drums on this particular track. It's apparently one of the more misinterpreted Pearl Jam songs. This is pretty funny actually because This yeah. is really I think I know what you're gonna say. And yeah. I read I read this in twenty, so I hope you're gonna say what I'm thinking. <laughs> well yeah, so a lot a lot of people think it could be about child abuse or a toxic relationship, but Eddie has no. cleared it up that it's actually his, about his, his truck. old truck. <laughs> His truck, it, it, that truck, same truck in the car park for Oceans, I'm pretty sure that's the same truck. It would never start. And if you listen to the lyrics, and it's, I've got the, the big 20-year anniversary, 20, it's called 20, and Eddie clears it up. It's about his truck that keeps fucking breaking down. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it when I read it because, yeah. you know, with the, how ferocious the music is, you're like, there's, yeah. so, there's some, like, really angry political statement being told here yeah. but no it's just it's he's written a few things so you can reinterpret certain bits but man no the gist of it is is his broken down <laughs> truck and i just think man eddie can write lyrics nearly as good as some of the greats i mean if not as good but then he goes and writes a song about his broken down mm. truck that sounds like it could be about politics mm. sexual assault or something you know yeah. it's really heavy but it's not it's about his truck yeah <laughs> some people some people thought it may have still had something to do with his troubled childhood even yeah. when he was a teenager and like he just wanted the car to, to get going so he could actually get out of there but he hasn't confirmed anything about that because on the third uh, verse he says suck blood touch please tunnel vision tuck time sees mm. you know so i mean yeah, yeah there's, it feels it, like something underlying he puts other little bits in there and man he's very vague in interviews when you ask him these questions and i've read a lot and watched a lot of documentaries he kind of skirts around he, he he surfs around the actual answers he's very very careful how he answers his questions yeah but um yeah but now, is this broken down truck? But yeah, they played Go in Amsterdam when we saw them in 2016 and it was unbelievable. Just yeah. incredible live. Yeah. Uh, as loud as you can imagine, instruments pounding your chest away. It's, it's a beautiful song live. I, I do like Go. Go is yeah. awesome. It's got some wicked shredding yeah. oh, at the end sure. of it as well.
My number three is The Long Road, and this is the Merkin Ball Project from 95. It was from the Mirable Sessions, but due to rights and laws, they I think Veda was signed to one record company, but they had to do the Merkin Ball. I Got ID and The Long Road are two songs that were recorded for this EP. Man, those lyrics just absolutely incredible. Really interesting, again, Jeff Ament on the bass, and Neil Young plays the pump organ on it. You listen to the background. It's um, and, and again, Neil Young really... So after 93 that I keep saying about with verses and 10, when they had kind of made it and they could do whatever they wanted, when they played that Rockin' in the Free World 93 song, I think it was, on stage, there's some awards, he had a chat with Vedder backstage and he said, fuck what anyone else thinks. You, you guys can do what you want now. But, you know, you can do what you want. There's quite a few songs... I think Nothing Man, which you took off recently, is that some people reckon that's about Neil Young, where he just does what he wants. Oh, wow. And that's where Veda, that's where they, after, you know, when you listen to Vitalogy and No Code, there's a massive change to what ten and verses are. So that period when they were recording together all makes sense. So Neil Young on the pump organ. It's a song about, it's Eddie Vedder's mentor. And he was a, a drama teacher at his high school, and his name was Clayton Leggett, and he was apparently a, a great man. Yeah, it's a very calm, subtle song. It starts off, it carries a lot of weight with the lyrics, but it's got the same kind of drum pattern to Atmosphere by Joy Division, if you've listened to that. It's got these uh, slow yeah. kind of thumping. It does, it do, does. Do, do, do. It's got these beautiful rolling drums, and it sounds like a Joy Div- that beautiful Joy Division track. Mm. The lyrics, man, uh, it starts off with, uh, and I wish for so long, cannot stay all the precious moments cannot stay if you listen to it it's it's incredible
it's about walking the long road together, friends and family, uh, all the memories going round, round, round. As the song ends, it ends up, we will walk the long road, we all walk the long road. It's, a, it's like a collective uh, stance to kind of, I'd say, enjoy life where you got it. We're all going to go there one day. Let's hope we can walk the long road, because some people don't get to do it. Mm. You know? it's, uh, it's a good tune. Uh, I strongly recommend uh, anyone to listen to this. It's outstanding. I can I can safely say that I love that Merkin Ball oh. EP. So much so that it rolls into my number two. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, and that's another good tune. I love ID. I got ID. So should I even introduce it? The EP, like it, now how many EPs only have two songs for starters? Well they normally got about four or five, and <laughs> Like normally. And I was just, when I saw it was an EP, I'm like, what? why is it an EP? Is it because both these songs are their own thing rather than a, a standalone single that has a B-side? Well, it stands for extended play, and I don't know. Like, normally, that's a single if you ask me. That's right. But there was the mir- Mirable Sessions. But for legal reasons, Eddie couldn't record with that record company for some reason. Mm. So I don't know if there was more and they called it an EP because those two singles were on it, but I don't know. Yeah, it, um, I just love that it came in that really cool brown cardboard slip <laughs> and with the black and white photography on the front of it. The wrecking ball was smashing it, yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. I, I'm gutted I threw out my CDs years ago because oh. I would have died to have kept that one. But my number two, as Pete just mentioned, is called I Got ID or I Got Shit. It's been named both ways in different instances. So it's off that Merkin Ball EP as well, which accompanied the, the Neil Young Mirrorball LP. What makes this pick in particular so strange is, okay, yes, it's under the title of Pearl Jam, but do you know how many members of Pearl Jam played on this song? I think it was two. One. Wow. Okay. Eddie Vedder, that's it. None of the other four play on this track. Amazing. Neil Young's on the, on the lead guitar, and I haven't written down the other members, but... Yeah, no Amen, no Gossard, no McCready, no Cameron on this uh, this song. Yet it is Pearl Jam. So I found that really, really interesting. But having said that, I'm glad that it is because otherwise it would never have existed. So thank you, Neil Young and co. Pearl Jam's respect and love for Neil Young and his music, you know, as you said, like it's been pretty evident right from the beginning of their career when they started playing Rockin' in the Free World live and... The sound with this particular song comes across really unstable. And I think that's like the best way to describe it. When you hear it, it sort of just it feels really fragile and, yeah. and laid and, and still melancholy. And parts of it just feel downright sad at different points. But Eddie's wails when he screams, I got memories, I got shit, so much it don't show. I reckon some of Eddie's best voice, but and that's saying a lot because no, he's got. I, I agree. Like he, he's one, they're one of the only bands that make you think and feel. Like it, like he he's been through some shit because he's so good at getting an emotion onto paper and singing about it. And like uh, and when he uses his voice and the band uses their clever instrumental, similar to Radio Radiohead, do that well too. They they're really 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 good at creating a a mood. With a drop and a fall and a rise, you know these guys do it just as good as my, in my opinion. Especially in this song, I get the I pick up on drug addiction in this song. It's like he's he's missing something. Well, it's like he's dreaming about a girl. It's like he's dreaming. 
Okay. I haven't had a chance to dig into it deeply, but I, I just think that that section where he sings about that, I've got memories, i got shit. It's one of his, the great moments in the Pearl Jam catalogue. since it came out back in 95 whenever it was i've just been in love with this song and it's never wavered with me yeah, yeah. so it's so good i get to showcase it on this show tonight <laughs> but that's that's my number two mate nah, good pick mate i love number two and i love i love i love the ep the extended play of two songs <laughs> <laughs> should be five man come on and do some more uh, but um yeah no nah, brilliant outstanding your two big guy my number two is, so there was a cheeky little live album in 98 called Live on Two Legs. So off of a song on Yield called MFC, which is Mini Fast Car. It was a song written about Eddie and the boys hired a little, probably a little Fiat or something in Italy. And this thing was like a little fucking rocket. And they just said, they called the song MFC. Listen to the lyrics of that song. Anyway. Before that song started, Eddie just busts out this song called, it's now called Untitled, and it's on Live on Two Legs. And it's just two minutes of MFC, Slow Down, you need to listen to that, and then MFC. Man, it's just a little impromptu song. It's a very pretty little song. And it just starts off with a guy, got a car, got some gas, let's get out of here, get out of here fast. It's just a little song about getting out of town it reminds me actually of thunder road bruce yeah by the boss if you listen to it it's got that at the aim you know let's get out of here wind in our hair and go yeah it's just a two-minute little song about not wanting to be alone you got to listen to it
As soon as I played it again, because I own Live on Two Legs, I think yeah. every Pearl Jam fan had that live album. Oh. And the second that I started playing again, when you mentioned it, it all came flooding back. Yeah. That, man, I've listened to this song it's a hundred times. It's a little cracker. I don't know. It's just that this band, they've always come with me. I always listen to them. I always... Once a week, I'll always get a Pearl Jam song or an album, and uh, I've grown up listening to them. I love them. They're brilliant. I can tell by the way you talk that, <laughs> that you know you're Pearl Jam, mate. I'm just trying to... That's ch- really ch- interesting. I love listening uh, to your breakdown songs, so yeah. this is awesome. Number one. Okay, this was pretty easy for me. I just... I'm in love with this song. This is still a song that I have in my high rotation list all the time. So I, I do get my, my mini Pearl Jam kick. I don't listen to them as often as Pete does, but this song always gets a run, I reckon, every, every month or so. It is from Vitalogy in 1994, and the song is called Coidroy. This is just for me, and I know it'd be different for everyone, every Pearl Jam fan out there, but for me, this is the essence of Pearl Jam in my life. When I first fell in love with them, and it's just angry, it's raw... Eddie's voice is prominent. We all loved the music that when they came out, but I mean, let's face it, Eddie gave it the Pearl Jam stamp. You knew it was a Pearl Jam song because of his voice. And I think some of the lyrics in this is some of the most powerful, just straight at you in the catalogue. And in a nineteen ninety four interview, Eddie said, It is about a relationship, but not between two people. It's more one person's relationship with a million people. In fact, that song's almost a little too obvious for me. That's why instead of a lyric sheet, we put an x-ray of my teeth from last January and and they are all in very bad shape, which was similar to my head at the time. So when he says we put in an x-ray of my teeth, that was in the booklet in the CD. So yes. instead of lyrics, he's just got an x-ray of his messed up teeth because <laughs> Coidroy is basically a song about how he originally wanted to be 
famous and huge, and then it, it turned, freaked him out. It just freaked him it out. Freaked him out. And but then the the name of the actual to- the title Corduroy comes from a certain jacket he wore, yep. which he got at I think like a Saint Vinny's or whatever the yeah cheap corresponding store is over where he lives uh, for like twelve twelve dollars. But then after they became big, that exact same jacket was starting to get sold in like designer stores for like six hundred and fifty dollars and and he even saw Ricky Martin wearing it one day. (laughs) It's like ridiculous. And he's just like, you know, this over commercialized and there's some like just talking on that alone, there's a lyric, I don't want to hear from those who know they can buy but can't put on my clothes. So yeah, they can buy them. But but in the end you don't have a clue how I feel. Yeah. The person that actually wears this jacket, you have no idea. And there's other ones like, I don't want to limp for them to walk, never would have known me before. So, you know, he's, he's saying, yeah, I could like go around and people want to get a photo with me and, you know, my autograph and give me a hug and they want everything to do with me. But if I didn't have these songs, no one would give two shits about me. Uh. It was really starting to affect his mental health and it's just such an explosive song. But once again, melodic, it's, it's such a Pearl Jam thing. Like they can be raw and, and ferocious, but at the same time, they've got the catches, the hooks.
Okay, buddy. Here, Here we, we go. go. My number one. Now, this this was easy and hard because, like I say, Wishlist and Oceans were there a few, like a last week, and, and Release was there, Given to Fly. There's quite a few tracks on Yield and Bineural that are, are fantastic too. But I went for Present Tense off of No Code on 1996. Just fantastic. It's got a brilliant instrumental arrangement. It starts off mellow and it's tender, and it morphs into what sounds like the guitar's neck being sort of twisted and pulled apart. It's got this twisting kind of wah pedal sound to it i never get tired of this song and the guitars sounds suffocated and muffled in the beginning and it adds to a to the the past tense subject of the song so it starts off quite dark and a bit a bit staggered and a bit sort of twisted and and not quite right and then uh, and there's a bit of regret in the beginning you know he's talking about his past obviously and yeah, the song starts rolling. Come the second chorus, the guitars and his voice, they they sound noticeably positive. They start to get positive. They start to sound crisper and cleaner, and, and there's more clarity in his voice, and the tempo starts picking up a little bit. About three minutes in, Eddie's voice just, man, it lifts and lifts and lifts, and just, boom, he just hits this certain thing that Eddie can do and no one else can. And, um, yeah, his just voice starts exploding. And then the drums kick in, the, the bass start again, the, about three minutes 30 off the top of my head, the bass kicks in and it's just that immense, just popping that big rounded thumping chest bass guitar and then off they go. It just absolutely goes off on one. It just goes up into this big, large, huge, just they're in the present tense now. So they've started off in the dark spot. And off they go into this big climax and they're just rolling and all the band is just absolutely buzzing. But the, the lyrics start off with, do you see the way that tree bends? Does it inspire? Leaning, leaning out to catch the sun's rays, a lesson to be applied. It means to go to the light and, you know, and get better. Do you like the way that tree bends? Does it inspire? I mean, I, I think it's genius. Absolutely fantastic song. Present 
Mate, I thought you were just absolutely incredible tonight. Just sitting here and and listening to you break your songs apart and explaining them and and the the emotion even as you're talking about like how I could see people listening can't tell but like he's here like. 
punching his his chest and very animated. And you know that's what music's all about. It's it's about hitting you in the right spots and oh, and taking you places. So I just think what you did with those five songs was incredible. I'm, I feel a bit underdone that I didn't have the much time <laughs> to pull mine together. I love the band. I love what they. I love what they're. I love what they do. I like it that they care. I like it that they're still here, and I like it that they didn't do it for the money. That's obviously evident. They've never done this for the money. That you can tell by in this. If you listen to Wishlist and Present Tense and all these lyrics, like they care. Like they 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 genuinely. Well, even corduroy. Yeah, exactly. They, there's there's they care, and that's what I like about them. Thank you, everyone, for listening in on Pearl Jam. This was episode 16. I don't know if I actually mentioned that at the beginning, but anyway, episode 16. Thank you very much. I really hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and jump onto the Facebook group, Holsch Fidelity. But apart from that, I hope you enjoyed the playlist. Thank you very much.